0: Good to have you back, and man, we are ready to roll. We left off at a very interesting spot. All right, I'm ready, I'm ready just to jump in uh, and go for it, so that's just kind of the way I'm geared. So, uh, so let's tear into it and see what happens. Matthew 24, verse 15, I'm, I'm proposing to you that this chapter, not, it's not talking about an event that we're still looking for some type of second coming, whatever you, however you see that, some type of second coming, a return of Jesus, I'm proposing this, is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, where the city was wiped out, not one stone left upon an, on another, as Jesus described. Okay? Now then, let me set my timer. Okay. Verse 15, which we looked at, but we haven't delved into. He's, he's giving them signs, things that are going to happen prior to this end of the age he's talking about. Okay? Verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Daniel has prophesied this. That there will be an abomination standing in the holy place. Okay? So what, what is that? What, I, and i told you, we don't know for sure what that is, but there was an event that took place that could very easily qualify. Okay? Rome is coming upon the city of Jerusalem. Matter of fact, in Jesus' warnings, and And this is so this is so cool because luke Luke could have shed a lot of light on this if people would have gone to Luke's account in regard to this same event. that's not it. Here we go here we go, right here, yep, that's it. Luke 21, Luke 21, and and you can turn there, that'd be great if you did. Same, it's a parallel passage, it's just Luke's account of that event, okay, because look at verse uh, 5, some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God, but Jesus said, as for what you see here, The time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Hear that parallel? Just like this is just Luke's account of what took place as we read Matthew's before. Okay? But now, but now it's interesting how it's a little different. Look at verse (laughs) twenty. Twenty. Verse twenty. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Absolutely. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. For, it, for this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing women. He said, when you see the city surrounded by armies you better get out of Dodge because it is coming down around you. Luke's account it's pretty clear. Now, back to Matthew 24. What about this abomination that causes desolation standing in the holy place? Okay, let me tell you about an event that we know historically took place. The Bible doesn't talk about it. Historically, we know this took place. We do know that Rome Came upon Jerusalem, A.D. 70, all right? Prior to their attack of the city, General Titus, now we're talking about ungodly, wicked, wicked men. General Titus brought an army into the city of Jerusalem. They approached the temple. Now, if you're you're familiar with the temple, the temple is basically divided into three areas, okay? The outer courts, the inner courts, and the Holy of Holies, all right? The outer courts, all right. That's where all the Jews were welcomed into the outer courts. Even a proselyte Jew, someone who's converted to Judaism, were welcomed into the outer courts. The inner courts were only for the blood descendants of Abraham. Okay, blood Jews could only go. They could only ones who could go in the inner courts. And then the Holy of Holies. You know, probably there, there's only one. Only one can go in the Holy of Holies. That's the high priest. All right. Now, I understand that as of 70 A.D., the old law has been fulfilled and done away with. Jesus has uh, ushered in the new covenant. And, uh, and so Judaism is no longer a factor. But that didn't change things for the Jews. So many of the Jews, they hadn't gone along with that anyway. So they're still practicing. And by the way, A lot of the Jews who became Christians, they still did some of their Jewish uh, traditions. And that's okay, as long as they understand our connection to the Lord now. But anyway, the temple still stands. The courts are the same. And yes, the curtain has been torn away. It's not the same as it was before. But that area is still there. All right? General Titus with an army. They bust into Jerusalem. They come to the temple. They come into the outer courts. They're not allowed. They're they're Gentiles. They go into the inner courts. They go right straight into the Holy of Holies. And by the way, knowing the Jewish mentality, they have probably hung the curtain again. The one that was torn apart at the crucifixion, they probably got it back up to secure that holy area. General Titus comes right into the Holy of Holies which was bad enough but then history tells us he took a pig and he offered it as a sacrifice on the Holy Altar of God. Blatant action to completely humiliate these people. Right in their face. Let's see. When you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. You better get out of town. Because it's about to happen. And it did. Shortly after, the Roman armies together Come upon Jerusalem and they completely, utterly wipe it out. Destroy it completely. As history, history will describe, at least about the temple, not one stone left upon another. They said it was dro- destroyed so completely that the gold of the temple, all the fires that went up in the city, the gold of the temple melted and filled up cracks in the stones of the floors. Utter and complete annihilation of the city of Jerusalem. Now, the Bible does not talk about that in detail. History does. It happened in A D seventy. Look it up. But Jesus forewarns, and here's here's the warning. When he's and he's talking about look for these signs, here's why. When you see these happening, get out, get out of town, be gone, get out of there. Because it's gonna be real, real bad. So the believers, those who listened and who listened to the words of his disciples, they would get out. But the non-believers, it was not good. It was so bad. I I just remember one of the details of what was done to the Jews that remained in the city. They took them and they staked them alive against the inside of the walls. They staked them up onto the walls and then they... They skinned them alive. It was horrible what the Romans did to the Jews. Horrible. That T- Titus being in the holy of holies sac- sacrificing a pig, unclean, right? Is that what Jesus is talking about, quoting Daniel? The abomination that causes desolation standing in the holy place? I don't know, but could it be? Oh, absolutely. That would definitely describe that. But whether or not that's it, that's really not the point. The point is what happened. Jesus forewarned them, gave them signs to look for, and even told them, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Guys, I... I just think that's pretty clear. Okay? Now, there are some that will make a transition at that point and will say that, well, the rest of the chapter he's talking about his second coming yet to be. Well, maybe, but I don't know why he would jump ship and shift right there in the middle of that discourse. And there's a reason why I still think he's talking about an end time judgment let me show you why look at uh, look at verse 36 no one knows about that day or hour not even the angels in heaven nor the son but only the father I, just just hang in there a minute now watch Jesus is going to use an illustration as it was in the days of Noah so it will be at the coming of the Son of man now he's been talking about the coming, what will be the sign of your coming? The day of the Lord is coming. And it was all talking about destruction. So why would he have changed to another coming? Now, now he may have. I'm not saying, you know, but, but not necessarily. So watch. Jesus is going to use an illustration from the days of Noah. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in, Now watch. For in the days of Noah, I'm sorry, verse 30, 38. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what happened until the flood came and took them all away. Okay, so, so is this not, tell me if I'm, I'm describing this correctly. Everything just life going on is normal. Okay, and uh, until Noah gets in the ark and, and the others, they're just eating and drinking, you know, and then the flood came and took them all away. All right. So in the days of Noah, there were two groups of folks. There were there were evil and there were good. Okay, Noah and his family were the only ones God declared as good, not sinless, but righteous in their time. Okay, so you had evil and you had good. So, things are rolling along. They're eating and drinking. Then Noah and his family get in the ark, and the, the flood comes and washes the evil. That's what, it, what the flood was for, to remove the evil from the world, correct? Okay, so, so that left the good to start over, right? Okay, so so the, the evil were taken by the flood. The good were left start over. Now, now I want you to respond for me, even though you're not here. Who were taken away? The evil. And who were left? The good. Now, now, if we were together in a room, I would have you do that again. Just do it again. Do it, do it again. Do it, you know. Come on. Humor me. Who were taken away? Evil. Good. And who were left? Good. Very good. Very good. You're doing great. Okay, let's do it one more time. I mean, we, you're, you're going to know why I'm doing this. Let's do it again. Who were taken Evil. And who were left? Good. That's in this coming of the Lord that he's talking about. Okay, one, one more time. Who were taken? Evil. Who were left? Good. Okay. Okay. Look at verse 27. Is that right? No, it can't be. It's got to be 37. It's 37. We're going to read it again. As it was in the days of Noah... Jesus is the one using the illustration. It's going to be just like this. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Took who? Evil. Left who? Good. Okay, watch, watch. That is how it will be at the coming, you ready? At the coming of the Son of Man. You ready for this? Two men will be in the field. One will be taken. And the other left. Who's taken? Hey, don't jump ship on me now. Who's taken? Evil. Who's left? Good. This is how it was in the days of Noah. It's Jesus' illustration. Verse 41. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken. Who's taken? And the other left. is this an end of time event that we're still looking for? You see what he's trying to teach. From there on through the end of the chapter, the good and the evil, the sheep and the goats and all those uh, figurative illustrations, he's trying to tell you, the good, they're going to listen. They're going to listen. The evil, they're not. They're not. And the evil are going to be wiped out the good are going to be left to continue the mission in this ministry. Okay? It's Jesus' illustration just as it was in the days of Noah. Okay? So, look. Honestly, you can believe whatever you want to. I mean, that's true of all of us. doesn't make us right. doesn't make me right. But I do believe wholeheartedly if we are, if we're true and honest with this text, we'll see what the disciples asked. We'll see how Jesus answered and we'll know what happened not long after this letter was written to the city of Jerusalem. Oh, and by the way, how is that the end of an age? I'll tell you. In the temple that was utterly destroyed, you know what they kept? They kept the genealogical records of the Jews, okay? Well, they were there. If you were a descendant of Abraham, you could go in there and find it and trace your lineage right back to Abraham. You could prove you were a son or a daughter of Abraham, a Jew, a blood Jew. Do you, do you know what was one of the biggest hurdles to the early church and the development of the church? The Jews. The Jews. It was. Trying to tell people they had to become a Jew before they could be a Christian. All those conflicts, we see a lot of it in the New Testament, talking about those conflicts between the Jew and Gentile, trying to, to rectify them, letters written about it. It was one of the greatest hurdles. You know what happened in AD 70? Those records were wiped out. You talk about the end of an age, no longer could a Jew prove that was where they had come from. They needed that to happen. So those records weren't there, anyway. That's my proposal, okay? Concerning Matthew, chapter twenty-four, I think it, I think it, I think it's trying to be true to the text. All right, and that's what we always want to do, okay? Whew! All right, that's that's tiresome. That makes me weary. Going through uh, going through all of that. All right, turn over to chapter 26 of Matthew, Matthew 26. And of course, we're getting really close to the culmination of, of his ministry. But there are some things along the way that I want us to see. <clears throat> My nose is itching again. does that. Hmm. All right, chapter 26, look at the very beginning. Now, he had just shared some amazing parables with them, all right? And so verse 20, I mean, verse 1 of 26, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Now, they knew the Passover was two days away, but I don't think they know and understand about this crucified stuff. watch verse 3. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. Well, apparently they knew he wasn't guilty of anything. Some sly way and kill him. You you notice? They're not trying to ask him questions to trap him anymore. They'd already told us they ain't going to do that. No, all all they've decided now is we just got to kill him. We've got to figure out how we can kill him. Look down at verse 14. Again, we're skipping a rock. I get it. This this breaks my heart. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty silver coins, and from then on Judas watched for an opportunity. To hand him over. Oh, boy. That's tough. That's a tough one. You always hate for there to be a traitor in your midst. A turncoat. But he's there. And he's already plotting a way to hand him over. So then we move in verse 17. Oh, it's a very special section. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread... The disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? And he tells them, Go find this guy. He'll take you, he'll show you. And they're going to go to an upper room. But that, that's, that's not particularly uh, uh, significant, but that's what happens. Okay? Verse 19, So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. Okay? Now then, hold your finger in Matthew 26 and go to John 13. As you're going, let me ask you a question. If Jesus were to say, let's just ask it this way. How would you say Jesus showed us the full extent of his love? How did he show us the full extent of his love? Well, he died on the cross. I get it. Well, that makes this passage really interesting. John 13. By the way, same scene. This is John's account of that upper room during the Passover when the, the communion is going to be instituted. But watch this. This is, this, is, this is where they are when this takes place. John 13. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Now, hang on. Hang on that a minute. i got to stop. As distressing as this time is, that he knows what he's going to go through is going to be really bad. This has got to give him great comfort. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go back to the Father. He's going to be in the presence of his Father soon. Ah, and you know what? I'm thankful for that. I'm glad for that. and That's given him hope. Ah, Now watch, the end of that verse, still in verse 1. Having loved his own who are in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And what did he do? He washed their feet. He washed their feet. I have a real hard time with this scene, Okay. <clears throat> Verse 2, the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Judas is there though. Yeah, yeah, he's working on a plot. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You know, people can say whatever they want to about Peter, but at least he stopped him and said no. I mean, I'm surprised others hadn't done that already. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter. You shall never. He uses that word a lot, never. You shall never wash my feet. You know what he means well. That's a good heart. You'll never wash my feet. You know how I know it's a good heart? Because of what he does next. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So Peter says, Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Just wash me all over. I love that. I love that. I think about this scene and the reason I guess I have a hard time with it. Here's our Savior on the floor, on his knees probably, washing the feet of these men. Oh, and their feet are dirty, I'm sure, but that... That's beside the point. Just the humility of doing that. And at the end of it, what does he tell them? You go and do likewise. He he didn't mean go wash everybody's feet unless you take that figuratively. Serve. You go out there and serve. Guys, this is in the upper room right before the, the communion was instituted. This is all going on at the same time. And I heard a guy say once, about this foot washing scene. And it got me. And I guess maybe, maybe it, it encapsulated all the feelings I was having about it. I, I don't know. But here's what I, I heard him say. I read, I read his stuff and it said how amazing it was that the only one in the room who really deserved to have his feet washed was Jesus, and no one even offered to do that. You ever thought about that? Jesus washes all of their feet, and even with Peter, as, as noble as that was, why didn't anybody offer to wash his You know, you talk about frustrating. He's trying to teach these guys something. And he shows them this amazingly, this immaculate example of humility and service. And he washes all their feet, including Judas, by the way. And I'll be real honest with you. If I had been Jesus that night and I'm washing Judas's feet, he's coming away a cripple. I, I... I I'm just being honest. That wasn't that would not be the right thing. But I got a feeling that Judas didn't know any different from anybody else as Jesus washed his feet. Oh. And he knew, of course, what Jesus was about to do. He tells them, or at least a couple of them. But nobody stood up and said, Dear Lord, let me wash your feet. The one in the room who really deserved it the most. And nobody even offered. You think that wasn't frustrating to Jesus? That they didn't just pick up on that? What he's just shown them. Surely they'll they'll respond by washing his and into it. So it continues to build. Okay? And then this scene, this communion scene unfolds. They're just, look y'all, they're just eating the Passover. They're lounging around the table, eating and drinking, enjoying themselves, celebrating the Passover feast. And then Jesus does something different. Okay, now, I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to stop right there, so that we'll know specifically, we'll come back to, when Jesus institutes the supper, and deals with Judas, and we'll and we'll talk about Judas. A little bit. Let me ask you now. You think, uh, you think Judas went to heaven or went to hell? Now I know that's not our call to make. I think, I think it makes it pretty clear. I'm not going to say what it is, but I think it makes it pretty clear. And we'll talk about that next time. So Jesus instituting the supper, Judas, and some other things surrounding, surrounding him, and as these event, events get closer and closer to the culmination, okay? All right, thanks, guys, so much for being here. Love you, and uh, just, hey, keep pressing on, pressing on, keeping on. I love the Lord, love other people, and uh, share Jesus. We, I love you a bunch. Good night.